that's awesome. Give somebody a high five this morning. Tell them it's good to see their face. Those are the weakest high fives ever. Hey, you can be seated this morning. Hey, yeah. Good morning and welcome to Bethel. It's been a while since I've had the opportunity to say that from this stage. It's good to be here. Um, for those of you that don't know me, it doesn't really matter, but I am Luke Spraver. I'm the pastor of your Bethel Albany campus. Um, man, I just got to say this before we go on. What a stinking exciting time to be a part of the church. Amen. Like how cool is it? Yeah. How cool is it that, that, that we are a rural American church, yet there are four campuses that are growing, that are thriving, that God is changing lives in, in in rural America today? Like, that is some cool stuff that you're a part of, and I hope you see just how big it is. But I hope you really understand this. I love the fact that it's all the Lord, because if it was up to me, I would screw something up, okay? But I love that it's the Lord. And so you know what? Can we give the Lord a hand? Because if it was not for him, none of this would be possible today. Come on. Man, hey, if you've got your Bible or your phone or whatever, I want you to turn your Bible to Luke chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 15. <clears throat> so I started, uh, I shared this last week with my, with my Albany bunch. we got a quote I want to pull up right here. Benjamin Franklin, one of the founding fathers, he said this, He that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. So we're in this series title, No Excuses, and it says this, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. I'm going to put that in terms for you today. Your excuses stink. They're worthless. They have no power. They have no good. They have no value. Nothing about the excuses in your life have any substance. But here's the problem, church, is that you and I, we love our excuses, don't we? I'm going to tell you, I got a little, I got two little girls. I got Betsy, my wife, on the front row. I got two little girls, Maggie, who is fixing to be nine, and she keeps reminding us that she's fixing to be nine. And then there's Wren, who she doesn't care how old she is because she's going to run the world anyways, okay? If you need to know who the, next, the first lady president's going to be, it's probably going to be her, and, and be ready because it's going to be wild. But she's about, she's fixing to be four, and she has a striped blanket, and her striped blanket goes everywhere with her. When we get in the car, the striped blanket goes. When she goes to her CeCe's, it goes in the car. When she goes to me, Mom Pops, she puts the striped blanket in the car. No matter if you're going grocery shopping or to the feed the goats, the striped blanket's going to go with us, okay? And when she gets in bed, if she doesn't have that striped blanket, you might as well forget it, Jack. It ain't happening. She's going to come in there 15 times, Daddy, I can't sleep. Well, because you're not in bed. I can't say I need my striped blanket, Okay? So we, we laugh at that, and it's comical that a four-year-old has a strap blanket. But you know the funniest thing is that there's a bunch of us that are grown, stinking adults in here packing our blanket with us everywhere we go. <clears throat> we got we, we to carry it. Our excuses, I'm too busy, I'm too tired, I'm too shy, I'm not bold enough. God didn't call me to preach. He called you to do that, preacher. I, I'm not supposed to serve because I've got too much going on. You don't know the burden that I have on me. You don't know my childhood. You don't know. And so we're going to carry our safety blanket with us, and we're going to call them excuses and make us feel good, and they make us feel warm, and we can't go to bed unless we make our excuses. Here's the thing. Like that quote said, your excuses are worthless. They have no power. So here we go. We're going to get into the parable of the great banquet. That was all extra if your timekeeper start now. Luke chapter 14, verse 15. It says this. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, being Jesus, said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. But at a time of the banquet, at the time of the banquet, 
he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Verse 18, but, somebody say but, they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field. I must go and see it. Please have me excused. The next said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife. I'm married, I can't come. <laughs> There's a message there. <laughs> Verse 21 says this, so the servant came and he reports back to the master. He says, hey, I've invited all these people and they said they can't come. They all have excuses. And the master of the house became angry. And he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Y'all pray with me. Father, I pray that your word would be alive, that it would be sharper than a two-edged sword this morning. I pray that it would challenge us, stir us up, God, and remind us that no excuse is good enough to get us out of the calling you have on our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to go back to this guy at the beginning who says this, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. This man was sitting at the table and he was going, hey, I'm going to show you how holy I am, okay? He was that moment where he was saying, let me, let me proclaim something that's so good. He goes, oh, he starts talking King James. Blessed is thou that eateth in the kingdom of God. And he sitteth at that, that table, and the Father is good, and this and that. Oh, how blessed will it be when we all get to go sit at the kingdom of God. He's arrogantly claiming that every person is going to have a seat at the kingdom of God. Here's a little news flash for you. That's not true. That's not truth. Jesus comes in behind this man and he says this, time out. No one is guaranteed a seat, but a seat is offered to everyone. No one is guaranteed a seat. That means, golly, I'm jumping ahead. So here's the thing. We've been discussing this in Albany a lot about being called and chosen. I love summertime series where we can talk to our people at our campus and we can really strike on where, where we're at as a body. And for my bunch, we needed to be reminded that we're called and that we're chosen. Somebody here today, you need to be reminded God has called you. God has chosen you. You have been predestined for good works according to his purpose. You have been called according to his purpose. You need to know you are called and you are chosen. But just like this phone, if it rings and we don't answer, the calling doesn't happen. See, when this thing rings, anybody like to text rather than answer a phone call? If my phone rings, I'm like, yeah, I'll text them later. <laughs> you know, the problem with that is there's no communication that takes place if we don't answer this thing. See, when this rings, if we don't answer, there's no connection. There's no communication. So when the Father places a calling upon your life and the phone begins to ring, that he's got good things set in store for you and you don't answer, nothing happens. The communication between you and the Father is completely missed. Here's what Matthew 7, 21 says. I love that Jesus says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. See, I think the, the reality is, is there, there may be some of us in here today, and there's a lot of people in the world that they've checked the Christian box. They've checked it off. They get on social media for the first time. They're filling out the profile. And where it says religion, they mark Christian slash other. They get on any type of form they fill out. If there's something that requires a religious uh, a religion thing on there, they check Christian slash other, Christian slash other, Christian slash other. What does that even mean? We're checking the box. We're declaring, Lord, Lord, but we're not doing the work. We're declaring, Lord, I, I, I know your name. I, I declare the name of the Lord. I believe that there is a God. Here's what Scripture says. Even the demons believe there is a God. You're no different says this, the one who calls Lord, Lord, 
Not everyone who says to me will enter the kingdom, but the one who does the will of my Father. So again, in order to enter, we must answer. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, answer. Y'all are courageless. Look at your neighbor and say, answer. answer. Can I be honest with you, though? <clears throat> it's hard to answer the call. I'm not going to sit up here and lie to you and tell you, oh, it's so easy. When you answer the call of Jesus, man, it's just like, boom, everything's great. I got some friends that are always like, hey, if there's a dangerous situation, preacher, you go do it. You got Jesus on your side. I'm like, that doesn't mean that I won't get hurt. <laughs> go, go, go in there and kill that snake in the chute. That, he will still bite me. It doesn't change anything. Listen, just because the calling is on your life does not mean it's going to be easy. Stop looking for the button. There is no easy button. There is no get out of jail free card. The calling of God will put you in places where you will have to struggle and you will have to fight. But Jesus says this, have no fear. I've already overcome the world. You need to know it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. But here's the thing. We can look at it two ways. We can know that it's going to be hard and push through, or we can know that it's going to be hard and we can start using excuses. See, here's what happens. <clears throat> if you're a note taker, I want you to write this down. We see three excuses in this parable that are still highly used today. The first one is this, investments. Investments. This man says this. He says, I have bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. Most of us in here are either homeowners or we rent or whatever the case is. You have entered into a home that you go home and sleep in every night, okay? And chances are is you didn't just say, hey, you know what? I saw this great house for sale in what I think is a great neighborhood. I'm going to buy it. No. You call somebody up. Hey, I hear you got a house for rent. Can I come look? Hey, I, I understand you're wanting to sell your property. Can I come and take a look at it? Here's what this man does. He, uh, he goes and buys a place before he ever saw it. If you bought your house or rented your house with ever looking at it, you're dumb. I'm sorry if that offends you and you did that. You're dumb. It's just a fact. This man didn't even go look at the investment that he bought. So if he was dumb enough to do that, his excuse is invalid. If he's dumb enough to buy something sight unseen without putting his eyes on it, his excuse is invalid. Matthew 6, verse 20 and 21 says this. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths, vermin do not destroy it, thieves do not break in and steal it. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm going to give you a nugget. I want you to write this down. When your investments become your excuse, when your investments become your, if you're looking at me, you're not writing this down and you're going to miss it and really wish you had it later. When your investments become your excuse, your treasure has changed from eternal to earthly. Okay. You say, well, I'm not, I don't have any investments. I'm broke. Well, me too. That makes two of us. But there are things that we're investing our lives in. Where are you investing your time? Where are you investing your, your finances? Where are you investing these things? Because I'm telling you this, when it becomes your excuse to avoid the calling God has on your life, your investments are no longer becoming good eternal things, but they've changed to earthly treasures. And I'm here to tell you, those earthly treasures will fade away says this, I've got investments, I've got to go check on. Second excuse is this. Oh, this is my favorite. You ready for this one? Say yes. This is my favorite. You know why it's my favorite? Because I like to use this one. It's a good one. I was raised, oh, this is such a good excuse. Such a good excuse. Are you ready? No. I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. NIV version says, I've got to go test them out. Please have me excuse. Excuse number two, work. Come on. Come on, work. Some of y'all in here are like, I hate my job. Well, this probably isn't your excuse then. 
<laughs> to the rest of us that have this problem called being a workaholic, where we have this problem where our mind never cuts off and at two in the morning, we gotta go back in the kitchen and do some more book work. We gotta go down to the shop and try something out. We gotta go do this. We gotta do, go do that. For those of us like this, that is our favorite excuse. You know why? Because it seems honorable. It's honorable to work. Because I'm here to tell you, it's your job, men, to provide for your family. It's your job to get your butt up and go to work every day. It's your job to strive. It's your job to take care of your home. It's your job to bring home the bacon so that you have something to eat. Scripture even says this, he who does not work does not eat. Okay? If you ain't working, you shouldn't be eating. Simple as that. He who does not work does not eat. But, 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 here's what this man was saying right here when he says, I bought my oxen and I got to go work them. He was saying this. I'd love to come to church. I just got too much work to do. If you know a farmer or a rancher, that's been their excuse before. You know a man that's in the oil field, that's been his excuse before. You name it. Somebody has said that. I, I, you know, I said this at the 8 o'clock service. Half of them were here because they were going to go to work after the 8 o'clock service. Apparently work isn't y'all saying because you're here at 11. You ain't got nothing else to do the rest of the day. That's, it. That's what this man saying. He said, I can't come to work. Or I can't come to church. I got too much work to do. Or how about this one? You know, I work seven days a week, so serving's just not possible for me. I can't come up there and hand out coffee. I'd love to, but I can't do that because I've got too much work to do. How about this one? This one's also good. It's a great excuse, but it doesn't work. Sunday is my only day off from work, so I have to rest. What? Somebody, somebody said, uh-oh. <laughs> Sunday is my only day off. You don't know how hard I work, preacher. I bet I do. Because on any given day, I'm willing to bet I might outwork you. I know how tired I get. I know what it's like. I know that I don't sleep. I know that I struggle to, 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 to get going some days. I know that I get in the shop and I go back after supper. I go before the girls wake up. I skip lunch. I work through. I know what it's like to work all the time. Trust me, I was raised in one of those households where that happens. I, I, Sunday's my only day off. I got to rest so that I can work. Ephesians 5, 16 says, make the most of your time. Psalm 90, verse 12 tells us to number our days. James 4, 14 tells us that life is short. Let me tell you something. Work's always going to be there. I don't care what you do, what your occupation is, what provides for your family. Work will always be there. Yes, provide for your family. Yes, pay your bills. But let me tell you something else. Do not miss the moments that you can't get back. I'm going to tell you this, when the moment is gone, you've missed it forever. Sure, your wife took pictures. Sure, somebody's going to send you a video of your kid doing whatever. Sure, you should have been there. Sure, you could have seen it. Sure, somebody shared it on Facebook, so it's all good. You got to see it. But I'm here to tell you that when you're looking at images like that, you're looking at nothing but someone else's recorded moment that you missed. You missed it. You can't get it back. People, uh, let's go. Let's keep moving forward. These first two excuses, huh, do you realize how bad these excuses are? Here's how bad these first two excuses are. These first two excuses are so bad, they have to ask for their excuse to be excused. Did you catch that? He says, I've got some investments that I got to go see. I bought a place, but I got to go check my investments, and so I'm going to go and do that. Please have me excused. Please excuse my excuse. The other one, he's like, I got, I got these oxen, and I got to go check them, and we're fixing to go hitch them up, and we're going to do the deal, and I'm going to break the ground. Here's my excuse, is that I got to go work, so please use my excuse. 
Excuse my excuse so that I can have the excuse for my excuse to be the excuse that I use to excuse me from being excused. Come on. That's a lot. And you know what? It's all bull corn. Excuse after excuse. Their excuses are so bad that they're having to ask permission for their excuses to be, to be used. This last guy, though, he's my man. He got a little bit of arrogance, a little bit of confidence. He's like, yeah, well, let me tell you something. I'm married. Not going to be there. Not, will you have me excused? Not, my wife said we can't. Not, hey, we're newlyweds and Jack, I ain't leaving the house. No, 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 he just says, I got a wife, not coming. Done, period, point blank. No permission, no nothing. Here's what excuse number three is, and this one hurts the most, it's family. Family. You say, well, that guy just had a wife. A wife is family. You got, you got friends, you got people, you got mothers, fathers. We're all here because somebody brought us into the world. We're all here because we have people around us that love us enough that we call them family. He says, I'm married. I'm married a wife. I can't be there. I'm not, 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 I can't be there. I'm not coming. Period. I want us to see this. Jesus follows this parable up with Luke 14, verse 26. It says this. If anyone, say that's me. <clears throat> Say, that's me. If anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. We've all got a father and mother because we're all here from somebody. We're not, we didn't crawl up out of the ground. We may not have a wife or a husband, but we've got people in our lives that we love. We may not all have brothers and sisters. We may not all have children, but we, again, we all have people in our lives that we consider family, that we break bread with, that we live life with, that we share our hurts, our struggles, our joys, and our celebrations with. We all have these people. We all have our very own life. If you're taking a breath in this moment, you have your very own life. And Jesus says this, if you do not hate these things, a person cannot be my disciple. Let me unpack this a little bit for us because I don't want us to leave here thinking, well, that's, that's me. I can't do it. I got a mom, dad I love. I got a wife, kids. I can't do it. I'm not that person. Here's what Jesus was really saying. Let me clarify. Jesus was never saying disrespect your mother and father. In fact, the contrary is true where he said honor thy father and mother. No matter what you do, honor your mom and dad. Period. Kids, honor your mom and daddy. Older people that your parents do dumb things, honor your mother and father. Period. He wasn't saying abandon your spouse and your children. You have no excuse to ever abandon your spouse and your children. He wasn't saying this. You people that struggle with self-confidence, me, who sometimes feels inadequate, like I'm not good enough, Jesus never said that my life was meaningless or worthless. Okay? But what Jesus pointed out in this scripture is that anything placed before the Father is an idol, even if that thing is family. See, we talk about idols and we go, well, they're playing travel ball. Sports is their idol. They don't bring their kids to church because they're too busy playing travel ball. Well, if it's going to be stock show season, you know they ain't going to be at church for the next three months. You know, that's their idol in life. We talk about money. They got to have the house, the cars. You got to have all the things. And we go, well, those are nothing but idols in their life. And we're sitting over here self-righteously judging them because they've got some different things going on in their life. And we're calling them idols. Well, when we're judging them, number one, we became the idol in ourselves. 
Whoo! I didn't say that last service. I need to write that down. That's good. <laughs> but what Jesus said is anything placed before the Father is an idol. So again, we always talk about idols like they're these sports and, monies and car, money and cars and lifestyle. But I'm here to tell you this morning, most often the idols in our lives are the people we thank God for the most. See, I write my prayers out every morning. This isn't to tell you how spiritual I am because I am not that spiritual, I promise. But I write it out and I'm always like, you know what, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the two and a half, three hours of sleep that I got last night. They were incredible. I can't wait to get two hours of sleep tomorrow night. It's gonna be fantastic. It's gonna be so good. Thank you that the sun's shining. Thank you that it is 186 degrees and we are walking on the face of the sun, but I still got breath in my lungs. Thank you, God, for all of these things. And then what I do is I begin to write out. I'm like, Betsy. What does Betsy need? But I pray that the Lord would stir passion in her life, that her wisdom would be like none other. For Maggie May, I pray that she would be bold and confident, that she would always be full of courage. I pray for Rin, that she would know you, Lord, and that the prayer of Benaiah over her life to charge lions in the pits on snowy days would come to life, and she would be a radical for you, God. I pray these things, and most often, my prayer for these people in my life becomes more profound than the prayer I pray towards the Father and him moving in my life. It seems spiritual, but it's an idol. It seems good, but it's wrong. It seems like it's a gift, but it's misplaced. See, I can stand here before you today, <clears throat> and this all sounds good. This sounds great, but I can stand here before you today, and I can preach this message with 1,000% confidence. Absolute confidence. I can sit here and I can tell you how good it is to be on this side, and I can tell you how wrong and messed up and broken I am on this side. Because, see, I've been here, and I've been here, see, about eight years ago when God called me into the ministry. I was sitting in the middle of a wheat field getting ready to sow wheat. It was about this time of year. I can take you to the mesquite tree that I stopped by because that was the only place that I had cell phone service. When you're by Looters America, that's all you got. And I get out there, and I call Cody because I'd spent all day on a stupid tractor, and my mind had been running. And I said, there's got to be more to this thing called life, and I don't know what it is, but we got to do something different. From there, the doors begin to open. The opportunities begin to arise. Seven years ago, in two days, we opened up a campus in Albany, Texas. Seven years ago. See, here's the thing. I grew up here. My family is founding fathers here. I got a good last name. I got me out of a lot of trouble right here in Anson, America. I got out of anything. My picture's on the cafeteria wall along with my father, my uncle, my grandparents. I had a good name. I could do what I want. I could go where I pleased. I had the right name. I had the right people. I was in the family business. I bought the house that my granddad grew up in. Everything was picture perfect according to how a sprayberry is supposed to live their life. But when God calls you, perfect on earth is different from perfect in the kingdom. See, it began to look different. And I can tell you that I laid down my family I laid down my work, which was all I knew, which was all I was bred and raised to do, which was all I was encouraged to do. I laid down my investments. I sold the cow herd. I sold the horses. I sold the trailers. I sold everything. I laid everything down on the sacrificial altar to follow the calling of God. I went. Not only that, but I moved. Sprayberries don't leave Jones County. I crossed the river, y'all. <laughs> People are weird when you cross a river. 
Now I'm the weird one across the river. And see, it was amazing. I answered the call. I didn't use the excuses. I went where God called me to go. We lived in a camper, which was dumb. It was April Fool's Day. When we loaded up and moved into the camper, my wife informed me that she was pregnant, and I thought she was joking. She was not. <laughs> she was sick for six, eight weeks straight, and we lived in a camper. Let me say that again. In case you didn't know, campers move nonstop. <laughs> my three-year-old bounced all over the place, and my wife stayed sick for six to eight solid weeks. It was terrible. We caught the last freeze in the first 100-degree day of the spring. Then we were homeless, really. We moved into a rent house, and all of our dreams was to buy a place, buy a place. See, I became this man looking at his investments and looking at my work because I ended up buying, I say I, we, I convinced her. My wife will do anything. It's amazing. I convinced her to buy an abandoned VFW, in case you don't know what that is. It's a bar, okay? An abandoned VFW that more coons lived in than people had ever seen. All right, it had no windows, it had no doors. There were things living in there that I didn't know existed. There were smells that, that took a little bit to get away, okay? And here's what I thought, I can fix it. I will resurrect these bones, I will build my family a home, this will be ours, I can build it, I can change it, I can make it, I can do all these things because I know how to work, I know how to invest, I know how to pour myself out for all of these things. And what was originally a gift from God became my excuse to avoid the calling. See, I smooth. I preached sermons out of routine, because you need to know, I was, we were still pastoring a church. We had about two months off for COVID, and then we went right back to preaching. I preached sermons out of routine. I led worship. There was nothing more than singing a song and playing a guitar. I had no heart. I had no passion. I had no fire. I was just going through the motions, because I had some great excuses. See, I was taking care of my family. I was building a home. I was providing a place, a safe place where we could grow our girls, where we could raise them up, where we could have the goats and the chickens and the dogs and the horses and all the dumb things that you, you have to feed. I remember feeling like this is going to be the place, the house on the hill. Everybody knows the V. Ain't nothing like a preacher living in the V, come on. And so I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking, I can do all this and it's going to be so good. I can't invest too much extra time in church right now because I got to build a home. I remember getting up at Two in the morning to go day work and getting in, or four in the morning to go day work. And then we would come in and I'd go get in the shop and I'd work till supper. And after supper, I went to that stupid building to try and provide a home until two or three o'clock in the morning. I know what it looks like to use your excuses. And here's what happened I missed all the moments that took place while I used my excuses. Connor, would y'all come help me close? I'm gonna wrap this up for us. See, I beat myself up constantly for missing these moments that God created for my life. Moments. Wren was bald, like super bald, and she looked just like me. I missed her crawling around a bunch. I missed Maggie, first day of school, turning into the big kid that she is. I missed these moments because I was so consumed with my excuses. So when I say I know the calling is hard, I know. 
I know how hard it is. See, I'd be naive to, to think that everybody's still supporting me and everything's good, but I can tell you there's still people in my life that are probably frustrated and a little bit ticked off that I chose to follow God instead of stick around. And it's hard. I hate that. But I'm going to tell you this, and I can say this again with 100% certainty. <laughs> the regrets I have the most come from the times I use the excuses rather than the times I follow the calling. See, here's what Scripture says in Luke 14, 22 through 23. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done. I went and invited everybody, and there's still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. See, the heart of God is a full house, church. The heart of God is like your grandmama on the holidays. She wants her table full of people. The heart of God is that his, his table would be full, that there would be no empty seats, that his house would be full of laughter and joy and life. That is the heart of God. That's the heart of God so much that he gave us John 3, 16, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Who believe in then who? The one and only son that Jesus sent. God desired his house to be so full, he sacrificed a perfect son for you to enter the house. So in closing, I'm gonna say this, and I want you to hear this. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your savior, there's a seat at the table with your name on it. There's a seat that's been designed for you. It's got a plate set, it's got the little RSVP card, it's got your name sitting there. But, maybe you've been making excuses not to go ahead and accept the invitation. Maybe you say this, I, I, I'll, I'll start, I'll give my life to Jesus when, when I get my, my stuff together. I'll give my life to Jesus when I start living right. I'll give my life to Jesus when I don't have as much sin. I'll, give my, I'll start serving. I'll start serving in church. I'll accept the salvation of Christ when I'm not full of sin anymore. Listen, if that's the requirements, I can't be here. If being sinless is a requirement for salvation, I'm out. But here's the beauty of the gospel. Scripture says this, all fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. Every one of us has sin. Every one of us will continue to sin. Whether we like it or not, we will sin because we live in a fallen world and we are sinful people. But the good news today is this. No matter the sin, Jesus offers salvation. So if your excuse has been, I got to get it right before I can come to Jesus, you're wrong. Your excuse is null and void because of what Jesus did on the cross. Here's what verse 24 says. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. I'm going to tell you this. There will come a time when you won't have the chance to accept the invitation anymore. I'm not preaching fire and brimstone, but the day you take your last breath, the invitation's off the table. The day you breathe your last, the invitation's off the table. Don't wait. Don't miss it. I'm going to say this too. To the rest of us, God does not want your excuses. Isaiah 1, he says, stop. Stop. Stop bringing me all your crap. That doesn't work. Your excuses don't work. He said, wash yourself, make yourself clean. Come to me. He doesn't want your excuses. He wants your presence. 
He wants you to experience the moments, the joys, the celebration. But every excuse made is a moment missed. And listen, I'm not one to bring up the past or to go back in our lives. But I dare you right now to think back to a time where you missed out. And that hurt in your gut, that deep burning in your belly, that regret that you feel stops now. Because moving forward, we have no excuses. Your excuses aren't any good. They don't work. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning. My challenge today is this. No more excuses. No more. No more missed moments. you got to answer the call, church. If you're called to serve, get up. If you're called to lead, get up. If you're called to love people, get up. If you're called to accept salvation in Jesus Christ, who is the only way that you will have life and life abundantly, get up. Now is not the time to play it safe. So that's the challenge. Let's go. Let's go. No more excuses. No more reasons. No more lies to ourselves and lies to those around us that we can't do what God's called us to do. No more. It stops here today. So I'm going to pray over us. Father, I pray that today that that would be the heart of your people. Father, that your Holy Spirit would get, begin to burn within us, God. That your Holy Spirit would begin to challenge us in ways that we have never experienced, God. I pray that right now the burning in our bellies would be the one that stirs up a fire in us like never before, God. I pray that you would take us back to that salvation moment, God, where we had no excuse where we talked with anybody, we prayed with anybody, we loved on everyone, and we told everybody about Jesus. God, I pray that you restore unto us the joy of our salvation, God. Take us back to the first love moment. Take us back to the place where you changed our lives, where we knew it was you and nothing but you. Take us back, God, to that moment where we had no excuse to serve you. God, it's got to be you. If we're living for ourselves, we've missed the point. The excuses are no good anymore because it's all for you. God, stir us up. Stir us up. I pray for a people, like your scripture says, a remnant of people to rise up and restore the kingdom. That starts today. No excuses. In Jesus' name, amen.